The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the show about money. Get yourself a cup of coffee and get set to learn something. Maybe a little uh, paper and pen in hand. And uh, we're going to talk about oil, and we are going to talk about the music industry, about the royalty streams available in the music industry. So um, what is the word I'm looking for? From soup to nuts, it's all covered here on Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager, Manager of Money. Uh, here for any of your questions, you can always contact me, WolfgangKlein.com. Don't be shy. I uh, love speaking with you, the listener, because it's all about you. I want you to become wealthier. Got a few calls uh, probably about six months ago, and uh, the one call was, uh, Wolfgang, should I buy a vermilion oil? It's got a big dividend and um, the stocks pull back and should I buy it? And I said, no, 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 no. Uh, oil is bad. Um, I use oil every day, but uh, the trend has been wrong, has not been working. And in fact, Jack and I this year sold our second last oil stock um, Enter Plus, and we parlayed that money into a little bit more Suncor, which is the only oil position we have now. Friends at home, I'm telling you, this is probably the most bullish thing I've said about oil in a long time, because when I'm out, at some point, it's going to turn and uh, make me look like a fool. But uh, right now, the trend is not looking good. So let's bring on our uh, oil expert, Simon Ackett. Uh, Simon is a uh, oil uh, consultant, I'm going to say, otherwise known as a salesperson. He deals with uh, big money. He, digs, he deals with the institutions, the hedge funds. Uh, they're really smart guys on the street um, who ask him the very, very difficult questions. Uh, but Simon, I, I want to uh, welcome you back and ask you opening here. Um, your hedge funds are very smart guys and, and, and they move quick. Uh, why would they even speak with you in the first place unless they're thinking about shorting oil? Well, uh, I, I would say that as we came into the beginning of the year, uh, we had the hedge funds and some of the fundamental accounts, uh, long oil stocks. Mm-hmm. They were bullish. And then, as oil started to correct, it was compounded by the fact that uh, we had this coronavirus. And then, from that point on, there were a lot of estimates around how much demand would be destroyed. At first, people said, let's compare it to SARS. We didn't see a lot of demand impact. And then, suddenly, it hit us in the face that there was a tremendous amount of demand impact. Okay, but let me, let me stop you right there, Simon. Uh, because the stock market said, yeah, we're going to knock oil down, but everything else is game on. Um, but it's really it, not, Wolf. It's really not. You look at what's going on with the cyclicals. An oil company is a cyclical company, so when the economy is expected to slow down, you know, the companies that are exposed to oil, uh, metals, mining, materials, uh, bank stocks, uh, they're all based on economic growth. Bank, bank, bank stocks are up on the year. General Electric's up on but the year. But they've, the they've underperformed the tech stocks that have really grown in that slow growth environment. So you're seeing the fact that the coronavirus is very unexpected. It's not something that was uh, predicted, obviously, at the beginning of the year. And you've seen the 10-year uh, in the U.S. The yield has come down, meaning that the safety trade is on. And people are expecting lower economic growth. And like, like Simon said, you see that in the oil numbers and energy companies. So, so, so again, let's stay on the same topic here, Simon. <clears throat> we understand that there's challenges um, building more pipeline. <clears throat> that said, uh, 
why have the pipes here at home finally woken up? I, I'm speaking specifically now to uh, Pembina and to Enbridge. Trap has been a, a pretty clean player for the most part. Uh, well, what's, what's driven, though? Because those, those stocks are working very, very well this year. We own Enbridge. We own Pembina. Um, I, I would say that I spend most of my time in the oil patch right now talking about the large cap stocks and the pipeline stocks. Uh-huh. And the so- pipeline stocks are interesting because, one, if you're a resource fund manager that needs to be in resources because that's the mandate of your fund mm-hmm. and you need to be in oil stocks, you are going to buy pipelines over EMP stocks and services stocks during this difficult period. It's a place to hide. Mm-hmm. It's safe. It gives you a yield while you wait. Yep. But on the flip side, when you compare the pipeline stocks to the other bond proxy groups, yep. so let's take the REITs, yep. uh, the telcos, the utilities, uh, the utilities mm-hmm. and then the pipes, on a relative basis, mm-hmm. they are the cheapest at that's, 11 times. That's good to know. Thank you for saying that. That's good, Simon. That's very, very helpful. And oh. but on an absolute basis, mm-hmm. the pipeline stocks are trading 11 times. Historically, they trade as high as 13 14 times. So on an absolute basis, they're cheap. Mm-hmm. On a relative basis to the other groups, they're cheap. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, I won't say a no-brainer, but it's been a very safe place to be with lots of upside all through 19 and into 20. Well, again, I'm going to say the, the, the Canadian market is a tough market, Simon. It's hard to find good ideas. Uh, but I, I do agree with you, and as is Jack, Having some money in the pipelines, good golly, there's not a lot to choose from. That's probably a sector you can rest some of your money in. Canadian banks, obviously, default uh, place to go, yes. as, have, as have been the rails. The, but I'm going to speak to you now about the rails. Let's talk about CN um, with respect to what's taking place. Give us the latest update, uh, the delays with the, the protests, the stand-in, the government's position. Net-net, we have too much oil in Canada. We can't get it out of the, out of the country Good golly, when are we going to get a pipe? I, I, think, I think the Canadian government recognizes that a pipe is necessary to save the industry. I think rail has proven to be very difficult to rely upon, whether it be blockades, whether it be accidents, whether it be you know, construction of these special units that are required to move the oil. It's been a difficult, difficult process. So with all the turmoil in the rails, it brings a lot more light to the pipes and the fact that we need another pipe. So I think they're recognizing that, and I think you're going to see some big changes over the coming months around government's general view on the pipes. Let me ask you, and, because, and, I, and I asked, sorry, sorry, Simon, I asked Jack the question on the way down here because I don't know anything about pipes. Um, so the pipes that they're building, will they move b- liquids? Will they move just natural gas? Will they move oil or all of the above? Well, we, we have plenty of room uh, on a gas pipeline to move gas across the country, down into the U.S. directly. Lots of, lots of capacity. And if we're tight and we need to have more gas, which I doubt, but if we have more gas, we can always compress gas. Gas can be compressed. You can you know, increase the pressure and get more gas into the system. Okay. Oil, as a liquid, incompressible, you need, uh, you need new pipe to move oil. Or and can, can you move uh, all of those products in the same pipe uh, at different times, of course? In other words, can you move oil in no. a napkin? You can't, eh? 
No. That's uh, that's good. That's interesting. We learned something. Uh, you listen to Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. Simon Ackett, our um, institutional uh, sales consultant in the energy patch, is joining us. Jack Hartle, of course, portfolio manager extraordinaire with me. Wolfgang Klein, your friend, uh, your money friend. You can call me anytime. We are here for you. I can't stress that point enough. Uh, you need money. Um, most of you need more of it. We can help you get more of it. Uh, slow, steady, eddy, patience, mm-hmm. time, commitment, involvement, uh, and you keep working. That's what it's all about. Keep working, manage your spending, and learn to invest. You listen to the right radio station. It's all about that. Uh, more of it right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up to the ground come a bubbling crude. Oh, yeah. Black gold, eh? Well, gold's going up and oil's going down. That's what the wolf on Bay Street has to say about it. Uh, I am very skinny oil. I have virtually no oil. And uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, we had a technician come into our office and he looked at uh, our portfolios that Jack and I exclusively build for people like you. And they're very good portfolios. You can always see them online, WolfgangKlein.com. You can take a look at our performance. You will be impressed, I promise you. WolfgangKlein.com. Look at the performance because performance matters. And the fellow looked at our portfolio and said, gentlemen, uh, you are very underweight oil. I strongly encourage you to at least get to market weight oil. My jaw dropped. I said, dude, market weight oil in Canada is 20%. (laughs) Really? For something that's not working, you only put 20% of my money wrong. Fortunately, we did hide out in the pipelines, clicked at our dividend, which is close to about 4 or 5%. And uh, Simon Ackett, global head of energy, again, according to Annuity Wealth Management, says the pipes are a place to be. Uh, they're cheap relative to the sector. They're cheap on a relative basis to their own historical valuation. So uh, Enbridge, Pembina, two stocks Jack have owned for a long time. They're trending in the right direction. And we're getting paid a nice dividend. What's the dividend uh, on those gentlemen? Four or five percent? Simon? Around 4%. Yeah, four percent. So our global head of energy sales, Simon Ackett, uh, you wanted to speak about renewable natural gas. Uh, and before you go on, I looked at the price of natural gas is trading at about $1.94 per British thermal unit. Uh, they're basically giving the stuff away. Who can make money at 194 gas? Talk to me about this renewable stuff. What's the cost to produce it? What can they sell it for? Why should we care? Uh, renewable natural gas, let me give you a stat to start things off. If we, the government has mandated in North America that we're going to move to 5%, just 5% of the pipeline capacity that carries natural gas will be renewable. RNG, renewable natural gas, 5%. 5% means $18 billion of equipment that needs to be sold in order to meet that tiny little requirement. So how do you play that? How do you make money off of that? There are two stocks in Canada that are publicly traded that sell RNG equipment to create renewable natural gas. One is called Zbec. XBC is the ticker. Mm-hmm. And there's Greenlane, GRN. Those two companies sell equipment to you know farmers, to uh, landfills, to basically convert that methane gas, that biogas, into a pipeline spec natural gas that can be put right into a natural gas pipeline with zero carbon footprint. That is the future, but let's go through the numbers because the numbers are going to baffle you at the outset. It does cost $7 to make an MCF of 
renewable natural gas. Seven bucks. Yes, you can get it out of the ground for two bucks. I get it. However, <laughs> the carbon footprint that is left by fossil fuels is much greater than RNG. Second is governments are mandating municipalities and different governments to be able to have part of their fuel stream coming from RNG. Not all of it, but part of it. And they are providing the subsidies for that. I said to the CEO of uh, Zbeck the other day, I said, oh, there's a lot of you know grants that come uh, with this investment thesis. How, how do I justify that? And he said to me, can you imagine you know, what the subsidies are for the oil and gas industry. They're quite high as well. I kind of agreed and disagreed in the end. Both industries are subsidized. No one is subsidy-free. However, I'd say that the subsidies are helping drive part of the investment thesis today, but there are other governments that are much more aggressive on their RNG requirements in their pipelines outside of Canada. Well, where, where, where France, gas is higher, where Germany. gas, yeah, but that's where not gas is being purchased from Zaruskis, and they're paying what? <laughs> well, they're, they're being held ransom. So, so, so uh, Simon, you're so, talking about put, getting five percent of this renewable natural gas into the pipeline. At the end of the day, what, does it really matter in terms of the environment? Five uh, percent of the natural gas that we use, would we not be better off just switching our, our coal <laughs> consumption to natural natural gas, like normal natural gas? Well, well, coal's already on the decline, so that's already in place. Right. But you can do things concurrently. Five um, percent's the starting point. Uh, it's going to increase from there, Jack. It's not stopping there. We've got people in the West Coast, like the city of Vancouver and Fortis, that are going, I think the number's 15% RNG. And that's partly subsidy. Actually, that's no subsidy at all. That's good neighbor practices where people are willing to pay slightly more for an environmentally friendly solution. Uh, uh, slightly more, I get, but two to seven this is not slightly more. It's very, it's significantly more. And the, the fact is that uh, when I hear of subsidies and I hear of governments getting involved and I think of investing, I, I think of the fact that governments change over time as an investor. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think long term. So I see a lot of risk involved anytime I hear about a government subsidy because I, I know that uh, you know went from liberal to conservative here in Ontario not too long ago they were subsidi- they were subsidizing insulating or uh, insulating our roofs here before that mm-hmm. happened insulating the attics and then the government took it away same thing happened with Tesla right the the government incentives for Tesla those were taken away as well because they were seen as um, uh, a tax that the, 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 the rich were being taken advantage or not taking advantage of the rich were being able to take advantage of uh, the subsidies from the government. So there's anytime I hear of taxes, anytime I hear of subsidies, I think of government getting involved and I think of a lot of inefficiencies. If, if, if you were trying to go from five, from 0% to 20% yeah. and they're all being driven off these grants, I would say you're correct. But I think you have to understand the magnitude of going from zero to 5% is minuscule in the grand scheme of natural gas. So, it will grow over time, but the, but, the, but the small requirement is still a massive, massive cost uh, to, to, to sell this equipment and to supply this RNG. So for the, it's coming. Yeah, for the it's farmers and for the landfills, for the farmers and the landfills that are taking advantage of this uh, new equipment for green technology and natural gas, uh, are they adopting it? Are they encouraged to do it? Uh, what's the response there that you're hearing? I mean, think about it. It's a new source of income for them. Of, co- of course, they're encouraged by it. I mean, they... They, they're of the view that if I can get paid for my waste, then I'm all for it. The question is the, you know, the consistency of that gas coming out of it. So if you have a digester, mm-hmm. which kind of is a processor on site already, then it's fairly consistent. 
We're speaking about renewable natural gas. Uh, Simon Ackett from Canaccord Genuity is our global head of energy sales. Very, very well versed in this space, has worked in this space for decades. Um, a real pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, please stay tuned. You'll learn more about uh, alternative energies and is very green. Right here on Hi Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, it is, my good friends, good old Peter Robert Garrett from Midnight Oil. Uh, he would like what Simon Ackett has to say. Simon Ackett is our global head of energy sales. Uh, Peter Garrett, after you left uh, Midnight Oil, became the Minister of the Environment, I believe, uh, in Australia. Uh, very, very concerned, of course, uh, with the environment. Of course, the forest fires in Australia brought it front and centre. And I was watching the uh, uh Democratic debates last night uh, on MSNBC had a stream. That was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, what a debate it was, and the environment was coming up over and over again. And where I was frustrated by was all those politicians fly, drive, heat their homes, and yet they're, they are blaming big oil for the environment, and they want to hold big oil accountable for the for the environment. That frustrates me because the consumer consumes the oil at the end of the day. They, too, need to take on responsibility, not just the producers, but also the consumers. There is alternatives coming to market. Uh, they spoke about solar. The solar stocks have had a huge move this week. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what got them going. Something got the solar stocks going. But Simon Atkins here talked to us about renewable natural gas used with... Uh, or, or, so, Simon, how do they make this stuff? Please, explain that to me. Um, imagine the methane and CO2 that are produced from a landfill or manure from a, from a, from a farm. Uh, and imagine harnessing all that into a system that they call a digester they're taking off the gas off the uh, off this by off this product. They're taking out the CO2. They're cleaning out the the methane. You get something called biomethane. And when you clean and scrub that, you get a pipeline spec product, exactly like natural gas that can go into a natural gas pipeline and be used for the exact same purpose. Has the same qualities. The difference is that they have less of a carbon footprint than traditional fossil fuels. The all-in carbon emissions to generate that RNG are significantly lower than the all-in carbon emissions of using fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Best way to summarize it. But I think you know we, we talked about before the break. You know why RNG? Why not just use less coal? Well, an investment thesis. Now, in order for institutions globally to look at certain sectors and certain names, a topic of ESG has come front and center. Big time. ESG, if everyone is not aware, stands for environmental, social, and governance. Those are the three central factors in measuring, you know, the sustainability and impact of an investment in a company uh, or a business. And it's a criteria. It's, it's a check mark that investors are making now as they look at different sectors and different investments. 
That's why the oil and gas industry has quickly adopted a number of ESG practices. They're adding people on the board that can deal with ESG, such as Torque Energy recently, uh, that's taken this topic very seriously. So when you think about RNG and you look at the stock charts of those two names I talked about before the break. Yeah, Zbeck and Green Lane. Green Lane. Look at those stock charts. Those stock charts are up on a stick. That is because they tick the box on a growth stock, uh, a theme that people care on, and overall it fits into the ESG bucket. Bingo. What a great alternative to a fossil fuel investment is, is buying these uh, renewables. That's an interesting Sorry. idea. Well, part, part of the ESG is the governance, right? And governance for a company. Uh, you have the directors that obviously take care of the shareholders. Uh, and you look at the fact that uh, a company should be profitable, right? And are these companies profitable at, at the moment that you're talking about here, Simon? Um, Greenlane is, uh, is on the cusp. XBC did $40 million of revenue last year. They did $10 million of EBITDA. And listen, they're early stage, so I'm, I might get a you know, pound on the table and say they're overly profitable today. Right. No, but they're very, they're very early. These companies are, are very early stage. So as they get more contracts, yes, we see profitability in a big way. Um, so there, there is a road to profitability, anyways. That, that's very important. So when you, uh, when you speak with the uh, the institutions, uh, the big money, um, what, what's the feedback that you're getting on ESG and, and then these two companies in particular? I'll, I'll admit it's mixed. Um, you know, for me, being an oil and gas uh, petroleum guy, it's it's it was tough to get my head around this. So right. I did, and I understand the economics, I understand the need, I understand the global demand for this RNG product. The institutions are just waking up to it, to be honest. And you, and you mentioned retail, off the top. Retail has fully embraced it, and the institutions are starting to embrace it. So you're saying that retail is there before the that big institutions? That's kind of interesting. Me. Yes. Of the, size. the stocks are small. Yes. It, retail has been there already. And you're, you're saying that there's about $18 billion of capital that's required to, to build out uh, the infrastructure and get the equipment uh, to get um, this natural gas up and running, renewable natural gas up and running. Are there foreign investors that are coming back to the Canadian market? Because we pretty much scared them away out in the oil patch. So are you getting some interest there? I am. I'm, I'm getting some interest out of, out of the U.S. Uh, on, on these names. Uh, Europe is all over this theme and they're all over these this sector. I'll admit, we, we don't have a lot of ways to play it in Canada right now. We, we have a few names, and, and Canaccord's investing in some, some names outside of Green Lane and Zbeck. But, uh, for instance, Canaccord, we, we only cover Zbeck at the moment. Interesting. There's a lot of opportunity here as the street uncovers the sector. Interesting. Well, uh, Simon Ackett, our global head of energy sales, uh, you've uh, enlightened us um, big time. And I really, really appreciate your time on the show. Uh, please keep us posted on the energy patch. It is a very, very important sector uh, to the Canadian economy. Like it or not, it's a pure fact. And uh, I do believe Canada over time will continue to produce more, not less energy. The question is how we produce it. Uh, being technologically innovative uh, certainly is a nice feather in our cap uh, every now and then. Uh, uh, you listen to Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager, host of the show along with Jack Hartle. Uh, Chris Sizem, uh, a fellow I used to work with uh, in this very building, uh, well, has left the building and come back to talk to us about uh, the music royalty business. It's a cool one. Uh, why not own a piece of the Rolling Stones, eh? Uh, well, you can do that. Uh, you stay tuned right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Taken on the title of excellent ex-lover And I think that I'm okay with that for now I move to avoid bumping into each other And I think that I'm okay with that for now Welcome back to the show. That's Steph Sysom. And her father's in the studio, Chris Sysom. I cannot tell you how much of a pleasure it is to have Chris Sysom in the studio with me. Uh, I worked with Chris Sysom about 30 years ago. Well, in fact, it was 30 years ago. I think it was 1990, Chris. That's a long time ago. Was it, was it, was it 1990? It was in the 90s. It was yes. in the 90s. Um, Chris Sysom was a sales manager at CFNY at the time, and I was a rep. I was a sales rep, and uh, well, I had a lot of fun working with the uh, nightclubs and the record companies and movie companies and anything related to music. That's, that's the area I always gravitated towards because I love music so much. And uh, well, Chris Sizem too is a big music fan. I think that's why him and I got along so well. Um, Chris Sizem, as he was a sales manager uh, at CFNY, uh, was also a um, band manager for a very cool Canadian band called the Walt Strawberries. Uh, Chris, of course, subsequently left CFY, as did I, as did everyone. It's a place you, you spend time as. It's not really a place uh, for a career because it's a youthful radio station. At some point, well, I got old, sort of. Uh, Chris didn't. You look great, Chris, by the way. And you're not even my boss anymore. Well, you sort of are, but not really. Uh, you are the boss man in my mind. Um, but uh, yes, so Chris Sizem, of course, has his daughter now performing uh, on uh, Center Stage, which is very, very cool. Uh, uh, so, Chris, I want to thank you very much and uh, welcome to Hi-Fi Radio. Are you nervous? Absolutely, Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a treat to have you here. It really, really is, Chris. You're a good man. Uh, and I was telling Jack, because, uh, Chris, you were in the office a little while ago, I said, uh, Jack, you're going to love Chris. He is such a great human being. He just knows the music business very, very well. And Jack said, yeah, I was doing a little research into Chris and speaking to him about that, and I'm 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 in awe over this music royalty business. And so, yes, Chris is also now in the music royalty business. And that's a business where I want to start talking to you about, Chris. So share with us um, the rock stars, because uh, they are now very, very wealthy people. Sir Elton John worth, what, $450 million, still bringing in gross revenue, if his little cough goes away, which I hope it does. I love Elton. Bono's worth $700 million. And I know David Bowie, from listening to the ongoing history of new music way back when, was so um, uh, financially literate and uh, adventurous and uh, a pioneer, created what was called a Bowie bond, where um, I guess he needed some money and some financiers approached him and said, David, if you just uh, sell us up front the rights to your music, we'll give you a check today and we'll we'll run with it from there. Uh, so off he went and I think an, an industry was created. So Chris, you're, you're a principal in um, Music Royalties, Inc. And we talked to us about that business and uh, the opportunities around music royalties. Well, thanks, Wolf. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you to start with, and uh, it's uh, and Jack as well. Uh, Music Royalty, Inc. It's a startup. started about a year and a half ago by a friend of mine named Tim Gallagher, and Tim comes from uh, the royalty business. In fact, he comes from the royalty business in mining, and huh. he, he was looking for the next big opportunity in royalties, and his... his uh, uh, thought was that that was music. And part of that is because 
20 years ago, Napster launched. And Napster uh, basically enabled the entire younger generation of people to access their music for free. So music royalties and music revenue in general went in the tank for almost 20 years it went down. And now, just in the last couple of years, the music industry has figured out how to monetize the digital stream. And that is through Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer, even um, Pandora and YouTube. And, and what's happened is it's become a subscription service. And now there's over 200 million subscribers to streamers at $10 a month. And if you look at that, that's two, over $2 billion a month in revenue. And Eddie Q, who's the president of Apple Music, suggests that the potential is for 2.3 to 2.5 million subscribers to uh, streaming services, which would, if Wolf and my easy math, that's $23 billion a month in revenue. I remember the Napster days, Chris. It was incredible because I was was, uh, servicing Universal Music. Um, And it was ironic because at the time, they were actually more concerned with CD burners uh, than they were with Napster. I'm going to tell you a story here. I I had a manufacturer of CD burners say, hey, Wolf, would you give 10 of these away on air and give us a few plugs? I said, CD burners, that's cool. They're worth a couple hundred bucks. Why not? That makes a nice on-air prize. Uh, When we started doing that, the record company started calling us and saying, how dare you give away CD burners? They're going to put us out of business. I said, are you kidding me? The cassette deck can even put you out of business. This is not going to put you out of business. You can't avoid technology. You can't avoid it. Uh, Resistance is futile. Well, it wasn't the CD burners that put them out of business. No, it was the digitization of music. And it was incredible, Chris, because it was around that time is when I actually decided to leave the industry because I saw signs that the maturation of the music industry and broadcasting was taking place and this digital world was coming at us. And there were other things to do with my career. And so I, I became a financier taking care of people who are listening to our radio show right here, right now. But it's amazing how that record industry, because HMV, Sam the Record Man, Music World, and you know you know the other record shops. I used to love traveling Young Street and, and shopping. Uh, it's so much fun. It was such a great adventure every Saturday to do so. But um, record sales went on the decline and the decline. I don't know when they bottomed out, Chris, but probably 2010 maybe. And then they turned the corner. But through what you're talking about, Chris, is music royalty and the ability now to have a proper algorithm, mathematics, and the ability through digitization to actually allocate money per artist, per spin, per download, per stream, efficiently, has made the industry in aggregate bigger than ever. Yes, the music industry today is larger than ever on a gross revenue basis. It's just that the money is being distributed differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when you look at the... Uh, I mean, there's two big record companies right now who are looking at public markets. And Universal Music has just sold a big portion of their uh, music rev- music business to Tencent. And Warner That's is, right. is about to uh, embark on an IPO and, and just announced in the last couple of weeks. And both those are happening because their quarterly revenues, if you look at their reports, which are public, uh, universal anyway, their, their revenues are up 15 to 20% a quarter right now. Aren't they smart? But that's when you sell when things are really, really good. It's funny you mentioned that the, the royalty business coming from the mining industry because Franco Nevada is probably the preeminent um, gold royalty mining company. And again, Jack, you know, from, from when it comes to mining royalties, it's a much safer play for the investment because uh, all you're doing is you're getting a dollar per ounce mined regardless of, of, of price. Uh, yeah, you, don't, you don't have to worry about the, the capital outlay, which uh, all those mining companies tend to get themselves in trouble because they invest at the wrong time in the cycle and then they're, they're stuck with this capital when, when the, the price is 
plummet, whether it's gold, copper, even we talked about oil before. So they invest at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, it's certainly an issue that you see with a lot of these companies. Royalty companies, very different because you just take right off the top line. Well, our, you know, our habits, uh, media habits, I think are pretty predictable. And so therefore, I'm going to assume that your business, you're involved here, Chris, this music royalty business has a relatively predictable earning stream, as does this radio station. And we have to go to commercial break, my good friends, things I used to sell. They're okay. They don't sponsor our show. They support Chris and I as we try to bring you some money-making ideas. Uh, we spoke about renewable natural gas. We're talking about the music royalty business right here, right now. It's the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, in for the cause. And my very dear friend, my former boss, we call him a boss man, Mr. Chris Sizem is in the house for the cause. And Chris, it's a treat to have you. Friends, you stay tuned. It's going to be great. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. That's a nice song. Don't go back to sleep, no friends. You wake up, it's a show about money. Yes, that was the Wild Strawberries. Uh, Chris Sizem, uh, my guest and my good friend, uh, used to manage that band. Uh, was her name Rebecca Roberta? Roberta. Roberta. And, and her Ken. And Ken. Roberta and Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken was such a quirky guy. I uh, just, oh. just loved to play music. I remember at the Humble and Fred uh, Christmas, uh, everyone was gathering around Humble and Fred and around. And Ken was off in the corner playing with a little keyboard, <laughs> writing another song. I was working on the next song. And yeah. Roberta was a uh, nurse as well, was she not? A uh, physiotherapist, in, uh, I believe. And Ken was a, a doctor. So, so here you go, Chris. Millennials, they're different, aren't they? They gig now. Guess what? Friends. They're all strawberries. We're gigging 30 years ago. No, we're all the same. This notion of millennials being different. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. Millennials are so much the same. They love their classic rock. I guarantee you they're streaming some of your royalties. You're getting money out of the millennials. millennials guaranteed. Right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I think that music has never been easier to access once you have a subscription to a streaming service. There's 50 million songs. And so, you know, when we were growing up, well, if we had to go buy a record or a CD or whatever it was, if we wanted to hear something or listen forever on the radio to hear it. Now, if someone says, hey, did you hear Pink Floyd? People can go and listen to it right away on Spotify. So, which is why I think this is this is a business that's uh, going to be, be a fun business to be in. Oh, I'm, I'm, when, but I'm glad, I'm glad that it has survived because it's a very, music matters. As we say on CFY Radio way back in the day, music matters. It does matter. Uh, some of your greatest memories are going to be anchored with a great song. Uh, so music, it'll always matter. Uh, and I'm glad the uh, the artists are once again getting paid. Um, so we played uh, your daughter's song, a little clip. Is she going to get paid for that? Corey, we're going to send her a track. Chris, you guys would know that. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Three cents, four but cents. The, actually, I think that's the point, though, that Wolf. With, the, with things going digital, you can actually track how often your song is getting played a lot more closely. And I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but I know Chris was talking about it in the office. You know, when you used to go out and buy a piece of vinyl, yep, let's use Pink uh, you, Floyd. you don't know how many times that song has been played. When you actually have it on digital, when it's being streamed, you can track that 
and then the artist gets compensated accordingly. But no, let, which I think let, is a very important point. No, but you made a point because Chris made the point to, to Jack. Jack Hartle, of course, yeah. my right hand man. Chris Sizem's in the in the house, friends and family. Chris Sizem, of course, used to work here, of course, entertainment. Chris, of course, manages uh, a record company, Josie Records. He also is a partner in um, Music Royalties Inc. Uh, he's an entrepreneur and he's helping his daughter build a music career. I'm not sure what kind of a father you're on that move there, Chris. We'll talk about that maybe later. You want to get your daughter, your daughter wants to become a musician and, and you worked in the business and you're saying okay well i think she, is that know, prudent chris follow your do you passion want your millennial wolf. daughter to stay with you forever follow your passion I, i'm just teasing that's, you know that's that. the way to how, go how, at least it, try how, how what's it like for steph how tough is it to, to be a performing artist in this day and age harder easier same way harder and and the reason is wolf is because there's so many more releases 20 years ago there were basically 5,000 releases a year now there's 5,000 a week Wow. It's it's incredible the amount of music that is available. What about live venue, Chris? Again, you, yes. you and I grew up in Toronto. I spent a lot of time in Toronto. Lee's Palace, The Phoenix, The Diamond, RPM. Um, well, RPM Horseshoe. The Horseshoe. Yeah, Rivoli. The Rivoli. Yeah, let's go down the list. The Concert Hall, et cetera. What's left to see live performance? You know, there's there's a lot, actually. There's uh, Jasper Dandy now. There's uh, Horseshoe still. There's Lee's Palace still. There's... Uh, the Drake Underground. There's uh, Dakota Tavern, Cameron House, uh, Rivoli, uh, and now and the bigger venues, Danforth Music Hall, and uh, not RPM, but the what's over at the Docks now, whatever that's called. Right, that's right. Yeah, that, 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 and that. and the Phoenix is still there, Wolf, uh, and a friend of ours, Zeke, still uh, making uh, uh, making do with that. Incredible. Yeah, no, things change, but things remain the same. So let's go to the music, the music world business. Um, what type of artist um, wants to sell the, uh, their, their stake in the, uh, in the song? Yeah. Uh, and what's the revenue model like? So let's talk about the songs first. Mm-hmm. Every song in general is owned by at least 10 people. Each song. Each song. Jumping Jack Flash. So multiple songwriters. Mm-hmm. Then there, so for songwriting royalties and performance royalties for everybody who played on the record. And then there's uh, the manager, in that case, Andrew Lou Goldham. And then there's the record company, which I think is EMI. And then there's the publishing company, which I think it was EMI as well. Uh, and then there's the producer, et cetera. Wow. So, so all those people have a share. Mm-hmm. So we've already made, in a year and a half, 22 deals. Okay? And those deals, in fact, include uh, a piece of the songwriting of the Rolling Stones. Uh, because we bought some songwriting royalties from Andrew Lou Oldham, who was the original manager of the Rolling Stones. Um, and we also have uh, a piece of the entire Dire Straits catalog, which we bought through um, the uh, producer, uh, which record? manager. Which record? All the, the, everything. Wow. And we have, we have a piece of the entire Eminem catalog, which we bought through one of the producers. Uh, we have... Uh, for instance, Dancing the Moonlight by uh, Har- uh, King Harvest, uh, an iconic song. Uh, we bought through one of the performers. We bought uh, pieces of Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus and Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. Uh, Don't Stop the Music by Rihanna. I mean, all these we have pieces of. In general, Wow. we have small pieces of each because less than 5% because there are so many pieces to uh, each song. And, and so we basically get 5%. That's absolutely brilliant. I was just looking at this list of the top 10 richest musicians in the world. And Jay-Z, number three on the list, number one, Andrew Lloyd Webber. 
You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. The show's great because I have Chris Sizem in the studio. I can't tell you how excited I'm to get my old boss in the house. Uh, he, he's just, he exudes passion when it comes to the music business, as do I. Uh, but Chris knows a lot more about it than I do. And uh, well, my kid's still playing the uh, Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon record when the girls come over. They want to impress the girls by playing the vinyl. But Jack was saying Some things funny. never change, they, they don't, but Jack was saying, you know, it's funny. That record, if they were to have streamed that song, the band would have gotten just a little bit more money. You stay tuned. I'm getting the rap. More of it right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And I think that was about 31 seconds. Apparently we... Uh to pay the band we have to play the uh, song for was it Chris 30 or 31 seconds did you say <laughs> I think the first 30 seconds are free so you now so do we play so pay, th- your daughter Steph do we play 30 seconds for Steph Corey Steph Sizem did you get 30 office uh, it might have been 20 30 uh, seconds yeah Jack give so Chris pr- a quarter give Chris a quarter to give to his daughter <laughs> but no Chris I want you to talk about Pink Floyd for a second talk about again my son playing that piece of vinyl that I bought yeah. years ago it's a good quality piece of vinyl I took good care of it and it still sounds great so you have two records probably you bought that day, Wolf, back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. One was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. With my paper money is, from the Toronto Star. <laughs> one was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, which you've, everybody who's bought it has played it a thousand times. It was on the charts. And the other one might have been by the Fabulous Poodles, which you played once and went, it, ban- I'm never going to play I'll that again. It was, it was banned on the run. Oh, uh, see, I, I played that a lot. It's a great record. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sir Paul McCartney, second richest musician yeah. in the world. But if you bought the Fabulous Poodles, which you played <laughs> once, and you bought Dark Side of the Moon, which you paid a thousand times, they both got paid the same because you bought one record. The Fabulous now, Poodles. How do, you, whole, how do you come up with that one? Oh, they real band. Are they real? Uh, more flash, real band. I, like, I like the Sam Wall. Flash on the Pan was always way at the top of the wall. Flash before. on the Pan would what be a good. Band. That was an awful record. That was garbage. <laughs> oh, goodness well, gracious. We bad bands. So, uh, but, but the point that I think the point that Chris is making right now is what you have a, a good quality album when you have great content uh, and you can measure it now with digital it becomes a lot more valuable and he's out there buying these royalties and he's buying quality bands so he's out there buying the Rolling Stones Dire Straits a, a number of names that he mentioned that you play very frequently that royalty stream is that much more valuable right now because it is predictable that there, people are going to be downloading that for the foreseeable future. And I don't know how long the royalty lasts. I think it's 70 years after, is it after 70 years, dies? 70 years after the death, death of the last remaining songwriter. So that's quite significant, especially in a world that's starved for growth and, and yield and income. Sounds like a pretty uh, innovative idea, especially for, uh, for private equity. Well, one of the interesting things there, Jack, is that uh, Paul McCartney is still alive for the Beatles. And all the 80% of the Beatles songs were written by Lennon and McCartney. And so that songwriting 70 years copyright hasn't even been accessed yet. So it'll be 70 years after McCartney's death. Unfortunately, Lennon died 35 years ago. So everything he wrote on his own, like Imagine, Mm -hmm. is now 35 years into the copyright. So his copyright's going to end before the Beatles. Which means it becomes part of the public domain. That's correct. And so here at home uh, in Canada, uh, and again, I remember this company, Chris, from doing business with the nightclubs. Um, I'll tell you what would happen. A company called SoCan. And in a nightclub would be a DJ booth. And they would play 
records. And later on, they played CDs. But SoCan would walk in periodically, and the club owner just rolled out of bed and a bunch of beer balls. And, and you know, it didn't, not the most, shall I say, friendly type. You know, club owners weren't yeah. that friendly. It was a tough business. Uh, and SoCan would try to get some money out of them. Well, you're playing our music, uh, you owe us 200 bucks. It drive them nuts. They didn't really understand what was going on and why should they pay for, some, or for a record they already paid for. Uh, but that's the way it was, right? Well, it's, yeah, pub- yeah, yeah. it's public use of the music. So if you're using it at home for yourself, you don't have to pay more. You bought the record. But if it's public use of the music, um, you're making music and you're making money off the back of the artist. So it becomes that you need to pay. So the ACC or Scotia Bank Arena or whatever it is now, they have to pay every time they play music. Radio stations have to pay pay every time they uh, play music. How about Shepard? Hey, Chris Shepard with Loving. I still hear that track getting played because all the... <laughs> and my, I, I, I say to my Shep. I, Shep, the Shep. No, I keep telling my family and friends yeah. that the Shepard created... They, they, they can't believe that's actually Chris Shepard loving that, that one track. Yeah. What's it called? Um, you know the track I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking the, the about. I know the band, but I don't remember. Yeah, but, well, the, but, well, the band yeah. was Loving. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, what other grounds do we want to cover off? I want to go back to this um, uh, notion of, of playing a record versus streaming it. Because back in the day, Chris, when I bought a record and I want to listen to the record in my car, I copied it. I bought a cassette tape uh, and I copied it. Uh, I'm not sure if that was copyright infringement or not because I actually owned the product and I was not. I was only playing it for myself. Because um, I didn't want to buy the cassette. I didn't want to pay yeah. twice to the band. But what you're telling me now is if I stream... Dark Side of the Moon, uh, directly or indirectly, the band's going to actually get a little bit more money. Well, they're going to get paid. They get paid, though. It's based on a ratio, really, because you know a lot of bands you hear complaining because they get 100,000 streams and don't get a lot of money for that. But the, the fact of the matter is Drake's getting billions of streams. And so if Spotify or Apple Music is paying 60 to 70% of the revenue towards music royalties, then the, the money is divided up based on the ratio of how much each streams. So that 100,000 streams, unfortunately, pales comparison to the billions that Drake streams. Well, Jack and I owned the Pandora stock. Uh, it worked for a little while, and then it started to roll over. And their big challenge was just that, their outflow of cash in the royalty sense. They needed enough. They needed The threshold of subscribers required to break even was very, very challenging. But the, but the, uh, the service continues, and my kids stream. Uh, so obviously, uh, line extension has occurred. The product life cycle, okay, this, is, this is academic stuff. I remember learning about the product life cycle. Every product has a normal cycle, and some products you can extend them if you find new or additional uses. Here is technology, Jack points out very, very brilliantly, how modern technology has taken an old industry and given it wonderful legs, and I tip my hat to the industry because the artists need to get paid, plain and simple. Uh, Does Jagger need to sell a couple T-shirts? I don't think so, but certainly Steph Sizem needs to be paid. If you get a chance to see uh, Chris's daughter uh, in Toronto, will she be performing, Chris, for us? Yep, she'll uh, be performing sometime this spring in a couple of shows, but she's also available on all streaming services. That's Steph Sisum, S-T-E-P-H, Sisum, S-I-S-A-M. Well, she sounds great, and uh, I'll have to give her a spin. I'm very, very impressed. Uh, I wish her great success. Uh, Chris, I don't need to wish you success. You're a very successful man. You're a very smart man. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Jack, good job uh, teeing up uh, my old boss for Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein. Uh, it's a show about money. It's a show for you. You tell your friends if you want wealth. This is where it all begins. On the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. You have yourself an amazing weekend. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.